When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today, my guest is the sports journalist, Bamani Jones. He hosts the long-running ESPN radio show and podcast, The Right Time with Bamani Jones. And his latest project is the new HBO series, Game Theory with Bamani Jones, where each week he breaks down the world of sports through a mix of topical news, in-depth analysis, interviews with special guests, and field pieces. This interview was recorded in early March before Game Theory debuted. I wonder if you just, let's start some basics. Tell me what the show's about, and I got some follow-up stuff. Well, I guess the show's about sports, and the show's about me. Um, I think that would be probably the simplest way to put it. Basically, what we're going to be doing with this is we're starting with what I think about stuff, like what my take is, and then we go from there to figure out the best way that we can illustrate it. And there's going to be some variability in the different ways that we do it. Like sometimes it might be using a sketch that we write out and have other people act. Sometimes it might be something that's me. Sometimes it could be like a straight essay. Some of it's going to be the different interstitial things that we got. But it's going to be a show where everything that you see has a point to it, but we're not out here teaching a class, you know, like this is a, this is intended to primarily be fun. And, and with that, I saw the teaser for the show, which is definitely brilliant. And you talk about floppers being a Karen. All right, here it is. Flopping, most Karen shit in all of sports. All right, so think about it. What does a Karen do? Lie about being attacked, pretend something happened that did not, then try to get the authorities on her side. I guess being a Karen is not the exclusive territory of the white woman. Your favorite athlete hits the ground like he got shot, even though nobody touched him. He's doing the same thing. So if you falsely accuse somebody of fouling you, you should go to jail for that or be suspended. Free to weed, man. Lock up the flopper. Preach. And for those who don't know what a flopper is, <laughs> your last line, but for those who know what a flopper is, can you explain what that is? And also, how did you come up with the Karen analogy? All right, so a flopper in basketball or soccer is another sport with a great example where you're not allowed to, like, physically throw people around. And so a flopper is somebody who pretends as though they have been knocked over when in reality, no such thing has happened, which has his parallel to Karen as pretending as though something terrible has happened when you call on the police and then the videotape shows that there was actually no big hubbub. You just kind of turn this into something that it wasn't. Um, and I'll be honest, my staff came up with that one. One of uh, our executive producers <laughs> came up with the idea. We, we talked about it and bounced it around a little bit and that's how we wound up getting there. But you're gonna see, analogies like they say it's the analogy right like we're going to make these connections to things that are very personal to people and that they could understand in a way that perhaps they had not considered previously and for the record um who's the worst or who's more notorious for flopping soccer players or football players in europe and or basketball oh definitely the football players they they yeah. are and they, <laughs> and they do it with a totally different fervor like i don't get the feeling that there's the level of judgment against such behavior over there like there is here like here we absolutely are looking at the person who does it if you like them you say how smart it is but in the end man nobody want, nobody likes that guy then you know they'll do it to you one day 
<laughs> and uh, so the show it debuts on March 13th, which is just a few days away. So first, how are you having time to talk with me? How are you not insanely busy? And next, March 13th is uh, uh, the selection uh, Sunday for NCAA. A lot of the stuff that we're working on is things that we've known that we were going to do for months. So we've been able to really get ourselves ahead so that when it came time to get ready for the show and do all the press and stuff that we'd have, it would be fit into the schedule and I'm not missing anything that the team needs for me to uh, for me to get on. And yes, we are starting on Selection Sunday. Um, our first episode will definitely have a Selection Sunday flavor, uh, shall we say, uh, getting you know into our, we're gonna have um, a longer essay of sorts every week, but it's not going to be like an explainer like you get off of last week tonight. It's going to be much more of like bringing a podcast type of segment to light or like the way that I do them, which is this is what I think about this and then I get into why it is. And so we're going to have one of those and it will definitely be geared toward the NCAA tournament. And, and you've had a podcast, you've been on ESPN for years, you've had a radio show for years. I'm curious, like, how do you keep that analysis in your, like, I wouldn't say hot takes, but how do you take your commentary and keep it fresh? And how do you not burn out on like oh, this again? You know, like, how, how do you get over those things? So um, I think it has helped in terms of like the burnout on like, oh man, this again, is that when I was doing like <laughs> daily television, you can kind of get to that place and feel in that way, right? Because every day you got to have something different to say about something that might not actually be changing. Um, you also get to a point where you realize not everybody's watching every day, so you might not actually need something totally different. I don't really burn out because I still find these topics to be legitimately interesting. Like I don't have to search and find the place where it's something that I want to talk about. I feel like I have a uncommon ability to make things interesting, just generally speaking. And so I'm kind of trusting that that's what it's going to be. And so it really just gets to be in a point of how can I make sure that this is something that entertains myself. But I just wanted to say we have something in common. We both grew up in the Southeast. I was born in South Carolina, spent most of my childhood in New Orleans, graduated from University of South Carolina. I know you're from Atlanta and spent a lot of your life in North Carolina. Is that correct? Well, I grew up in Houston. I was born in Atlanta. I went to college in Atlanta. My parents have lived in Atlanta for the last 25 years. So Atlanta is definitely a home, but I did from 7 to 17 in Houston, which is its own interesting <laughs> Like That's a little closer to the New Orleans spin. Yeah, that's kind of about, yeah, I was there from like about 7 to 14, 15. Yeah. Gotcha. And, and, uh, and, and humidity-wise, too, is a lot closer. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Well, I, I wanted to, uh, you, that's also, Matt hopefully gives you a little indication of where some of my sport allegiances and disappointments. I mean, we used to go see the New Orleans Saints play like in mm -hmm. the 80s in the Superdome. And every Sunday, my dad, we'd watch them get beat by the best football teams. Um, mm -hmm. I, I got, years ago, I got to meet Joe Montana. He's like, yeah, I always like playing in New Orleans. I'm like, he's like, I don't think I ever lost a game there. I was like, yeah, we, we know that. You don't need to say that. <laughs> that's just being rude. But like, um, as far as like growing up in the South and having your family there, how do you think that's influenced you and, and the work you're doing? I think that the thing about the United States that really landed for me when I went to Europe for the first time is you catch a one hour flight in Europe and you might be two, three countries away. You catch a one hour flight in the United States, you might not even get out of the state that you're in. So, you know, all these different places are rather distinct cultures. Like we got some things in common, but you know, by and large, we, there's a lot to it. And so for me, like being Southern is like 
core and kind of fundamental, like whether you want it to be or not, like the, the, the ways that we interact with people, the way that we use language, all of those things. Like one thing I do find that is interesting in terms of like how people receive me when I'm on television is we Southerners are idiomatic people, right? We got all kinds of references and metaphors and similes, right? Like as much as people try to act like we stupid, nobody knows how to make, a, make, make the words have life in the ways that we do. And when you do that on television, there just aren't that many people who really do it, right? Because I think Southerners especially are often conditioned to try to act like they're not Southern, right? Because people got a tendency to look down on us. And I gave up on that a long time ago. Plus, like, I'm black. If they was going to start picking things to look down on me on, it ain't, ain't, no, ain't, ain't no way I'm going to use my words that's going to talk them out of it. Also, I think there is like a, I don't know, I'm seeing a lot more like newscasters, uh, guys in sports, but also uh, people uh, just embracing their Southerness and their heritage and, um the, the good and the bad of that because I feel like it, it's been a lot that's been ignored for so long but it's such a part of who we are especially when it comes to sports and college sports which is like huge down there yeah like what are the what are the criticisms that I've had I mean the criticisms of the confederate flag are obvious but I remember I once did a radio segment about it in like 2009 in North Carolina and the point that I made for them was all right, if this for you is just simply a, um, a display of Southern pride, that's cool. Well, I'm from the South too. Why don't you get something we can all get on board with? And that's when they'd like stop cold right there because suddenly the logic had fallen apart, right? Like in the ways that, in the ways that they viewed that whole thing, right? And so people, like black people have a tendency to associate Southerness with backwardness and white people have a tendency to associate Southerness, I guess, with that backwardness, but also it's real easy to do like point the finger at Southern racism rather than ever looking actually at yourself, right? Like that's the whole Neil Young, Leonard Skinner beef is, oh, you're gonna talk about us like we don't know about y'all? Oh, okay, right? Like game's been peaked, you know, is that sort of thing. And so I think that that brings a lot of people like inside themselves on it. But a lot of people use being Southern as a mask for their other stuff, right? Like, oh, I'm just from the South. And it's like, nah, that was not going to work. What helped me a lot was I got to Atlanta for college in 97. And like, if you go to the black schools in Atlanta at that time, this is when like people were finding out about Freak Nick and all of this stuff, like Atlanta as this, as a destination was rising. And so we'd always have a bunch of people from New York who showed up. And when I was in high school, man, I listened to like the rap I was listening to was out of New York. It was, I was more in line where I was. Man, I got there and them dudes was talking so crazy to us and so bad about us. Like, like, and I was just like, oh, never again. I turned into a radicalized Southern patriot just that quick. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm laughing because it's humorous, but also it's so true. I mean, all that is true, you know? And um, I know we, we mentioned uh, the Southern part and like we talked a little bit about idioms, but there's something very charismatic about the way you describe a topic. And also your voice. Um, do you get a lot of people just reacting to your voice? Because there's something like, it's just like you feel like a friend and I'm like, what, we've talked for like 10 minutes now. Yeah, I think I, the voice is part of it, but I also think that part of it in terms of like the, the familiarity sort of things, I made a decision pretty early on in terms of how I was going to talk to people that I am confident enough in what I'm saying and for lack of a better term, in my own intelligence, that I ain't got to dress this up to make you feel it. You know, like I know... You learn over the course of time how to talk to people and what people respond to. And so when I do radio and podcasts, like when I would do radio, you know, in the studio with my producer, I'm looking at my producer like that's the person that I'm talking to. 
because when you're doing a podcast in particular, you really are just talking to one person. And when you're doing radio, you really are just talking to one person. There's one person sitting there listening and they are a captive audience in a way that is different than all this other stuff, right? Like when you got headphones on, the world is contained from the, you know, from ear to ear. That's where you are. People need to feel like you're talking with them, not talking at them. It, like they don't mind people being smart. They mind you showing, trying to show off how smart you are. And the way that you avoid all those things, just act like that person's directly in front of you. And how do you think that's going to change a bit for like uh, for game theory? Because the, was it like a 30 minute show? Um, and is it more is it live or how, how's that working? Um, it's not going to be live. Um, some of it is going to be pre taped pre-produced things. So those things will be dropped in. What's a little different in terms of the mechanics of this versus other shows I've done is that there's a lot more use of teleprompter on here and teleprompter is a real kind of delicate art in this world. Like you'd be amazed how many people would be on television, except they can't read off of teleprompters. Not that they can't read, but there's something about trying to read it and trying to do all the stuff that comes with it at the same time. It's something that you can't even really teach people. You can practice at it, but like how to get better at using the teleprompter and how to be as natural as possible in the expression and how to write things so that when I'm saying them, I can hammer the lines that I'm good at and we're not trying to be too cute about it and the urgency and I think occasional intensity that comes from my presentation is then winds up being present. Like those are the things that we're going to have to get and to figure out. But the, the, anything is like what's going to be different. I'm trying to keep as many things the same. The only things that I'm trying to make different are things that I believe can legitimately be improved or expanded upon. Right. It may be through my words. It may be through something else. But we will find out now the most vivid way to make people feel what it is that we're talking about. And just hearing you describe it, I'm so excited to see what this episode is going to, the first one especially, going to be like. And I'm curious because the HBO has a, like a, a cachet to it as well. They have such a rich history, especially with sports. How does it feel, especially for someone who's so tied to ESPN, to now have your thing on HBO? Oh, man, it, it is dream type stuff, to be perfectly honest. And that's, and seeing, that's like, that's not at all any kind of statement about ESPN, because the things I did for ESPN were dream type stuff, too. But this, I will definitely say, was kind of a holy grail sort of thing for me that years ago I said that's something I would be able to do. And the, if the opportunity ever came around and it came around for other people uh, a couple of times. And now once it came around to me, I was like, I, am, I told them in the first call I did with them, I am the perfect person to host the show. And I don't even know if there's anybody else that could really do it. And I laid out my reasons. Like, the reason I said that was it was like, one, you need somebody whose opinions people take seriously. You just can't come out here taking, making jokes about something these people really take seriously. They need to respect the person they're hearing from. But then that person also has to be able to do these other entertainment related things that you're also looking for. And I was like, I don't think there's anybody better suited to do those things than I am. I can honestly say we got a show that's in the vision of honestly, not just what I want to do now, but it's really in the vision of what I've been doing for what I would say is the last 20 years. Well, I wondered that too. If, if you, for for whatever reason, gotten to uh, start game theory even six years ago or 10 years ago, how would that have been different than what you're able to do now? Yeah, I think I'm more confident and I have a better understanding of how things go. Like one thing I could say is that if this was six years ago, I probably would have been all right. But there's a lot of power to be in the last say in all of this stuff. Like what I've learned over the years, really in large part is about dealing with people and dealing with the people that we'll be working with and understanding like what they would need in terms of support from the person who happens to be in charge like that to me is the really the, the biggest thing i'd also probably been way more reckless six years ago 
You know, like, like I definitely would have been doing some things maybe that I shouldn't have done. It's HBO. We got to do it because we got to, you know. Um, but I think like the talent level and the ability to do these things would have always been there. That wouldn't have changed. But I can't say sincerely that in those at those points, I was mature enough to handle everything that's coming with this. For people who don't know you very well and who stumble on the show, what do you hope they take away from it? I guess I would kind of hope that they would take away if they're non-sports fans. Like, huh, I didn't know you could look at this like that. The other thing that I could tell you is one of the great compliments I've gotten for most of my career is people who tell me not about how much they like the show, but how much their significant other who does not care that much about sports likes it or is able to still watch it and still follow it, even though they don't follow sports intensely. Like, I think if you stumble upon this and you're not familiar with me and you're not even that familiar with sports, it may be a situation like where you watch like the reality show they got about Formula One racing, then all of a sudden all these people wanted to watch racing. Like, this is going to be something in a way that you haven't checked out before or seen from somebody, because I'm going to give you, A, an absolute sincerity. Um, and as my old boss once told me, I know how to be provocative without getting in trouble. Like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to tell you the truth about whatever this thing happens to be. And we're going to laugh at some times where most people wouldn't. We're going to be serious at some times where most people don't realize that they need to. But above all, this is going to be a good time. Like, I recognize we have to entertain the people who are in front of us. And that's what I hope to do. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, so the name of our podcast is called I'm So Obsessed. Lamani, what are you currently obsessed with? Sturgill Simpson. Sturgill Simpson and Waylon Jennings I am currently obsessed with. Because, all right, I stumbled on Sturgill when Sound and Fury came out, which I think was like the perfect walk-up for somebody like me who had never voluntarily listened to a country record in his life. And so that's not a country record. Like, it has very country sensibilities, but it's not a country album. I think, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a rock album by and large. And so then I went from there to Sailor's Guide to Earth, and I was like, oh, we're cooking with gas here. But I was talking to somebody, and he was, you know, saying that like Sturgill picked up the Waylon, uh, you know, the Waylon baton basically. And I was like, okay, I've never tried this Waylon Jennings thing. I'll go ahead and do that. So I just go to the Spotify page, pull up the top 10 and just randomly pick a track. And I pick uh, Look, Looking Back Texas. And I was like, oh, okay, this dude can really, really sing. All right, we're going to do that. Um, and then I think number 10 on that list was, are you sure Hank done it this way? And I was like, oh, that seems like an interesting concept. And so I get there. And I'm like, this sounds like a Velvet Underground track, right? It's like a Velvet Underground track with a four on the floor beat. And then, you you know, you it's something that I could very, as a rap fan, like there's always the old, like the old school, new school fight that's always going on in country, always goes on in rap. So it's like a very easy parallel for me. And then I got around the, the don't you think this outlaw bit done got out of hand, the greatest song <laughs> ever made about a drug bust. And I was like, oh man, I'm in on this. So I've had a little run here just running through uh, Wailing Jennings album to talk to my man, uh, Brian Koppelman. And he was like, Honky Tonk Heroes, that's the one you got to check out. And so then I wound up on that one. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, we cooking with gas here. And in fact, and, I, you were, and with Sturgill, I got my vinyl copy of uh, Dude and Juanita in the mail yesterday. 
I would say you literally are pulling the thread and it is a long thread. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. Like it's 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 that thread, and then that got me a little more into the Willie direction. And I was like, okay, so this is another one. Like got to the shotgun Willie album, which is so interesting because if you listen to any Paul Sign records, you can clearly tell that Shotgun Willie was recorded in New York City. Like even if it was his band and all that, and I think he did it with my man from Atlantic Records, but it's got a very like yeah, this could, this could be a Paul Simon record with just a couple of changes. Well, and I read that you started out as actually a culture critic before before yeah. becoming a sports journalist. How did that time inform your work as a sports journalist or what you do now? So I think the thing is, like, cultural critic was something that a documentary put under my name that I did because I didn't have, because <laughs> I was just a freelance writer. Like, that just didn't fit. But I was in a space where most of the freelancing and the stuff I was doing was about music, about TV, about movies. I was writing about anything you could if you were cutting a check. The places that were looking for sports were all the places, like there were no real new places that were coming around looking for sports. And I didn't know how to crack that game. I had no idea. Um, and then in 2004, I met Ralph Wiley and he walked me up to ESPN. I do think what I have learned from covering music is I used to let my sports stuff interfere with my music coverage where I could be sports is so based on statistics and all of these things. And I would try to look for objective measures and ways to evaluate music sometimes. And that's really, really boring. But what I then also realized was often where we miss the point in sports is that we're missing. Sometimes this stuff is fun just because it's fun. You know, like Buster Rhymes <laughs> has never had a classic album, but it doesn't mean Buster Rhymes ain't Buster Rhymes, right? You know, it's, it's, there's a level at which all this stuff matters because of how it makes you feel, not because of what it is that you can evaluate. So the last thing we like to do on our show is we do a thing called pick one. I give you a couple of choices. You pick one. It doesn't mean the thing you choose is better than the other, but I'd like to play pick one. Cool. And the first pick one I have with you is pick one. Uh, being a well-known sports journalist or being an award-winning novelist? <laughs> I'll take being a well-known sports journalist. But I, I read that your sister is a novelist and not only that, but yeah. an award-winning one. I, can you yeah, talk she, a little bit about that? Yeah. No, she's a big deal. Um, her last book was called An American Marriage. Um, Oprah picked it up as like the Oprah book. Yeah. So yeah. So like 2018, I got my own TV show and that was really cool, but I probably had the second best year for it, Jones. Uh, second pick one is baseball all-star game or NBA all-star game. Pick one. NBA all-star game. <laughs> uh, and, and NBA all-star game gets a bad rap because it, oh, it doesn't get good until the end. Right. But before that, you see some incredible stuff. Baseball all-star game still feel like a baseball game. For better or worse, it just feel like a baseball game. But I think more for worse a lot of the time, sadly. Um, next one, Winter Olympics or Summer Olympics? I go with the Summer Olympics, or like I call them the Whiter Olympics, actually. <laughs> like the whole idea that we're going to come up with some, with some Olympics that only we play. It's us and a few of y'all and maybe a couple of them. <laughs> All right, what are you talking about? Like, just maybe if you want to get to the Winter Olympics, what you got to do is real simple. Just go find some country in Africa and be like, yo, I'm trying to go to the Winter Olympics. You know, give them some money. Can I be part of your Olympic committee? And then you can represent Niger um, in downhill skiing. All right. And my last pick one is Duke University or Elon University? Elon. The answer is always not Duke. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go with, yeah, I'll go with Elon. 
but you used to be a professor or an adjunct professor at either or both. And um, yeah. And why Elon over Duke? Well, I mean, uh, I know uh, why we're not supposed to like Duke, but why Elon University? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I just root against Duke basketball. That's it. I enjoyed <laughs> both of those jobs for different reasons. Like I, when I was at Elon, I taught principles of economics um, to freshmen. And it was interesting. I like It was the first time that I had been the professor, not a TA or anything like that. And I thought the students were bright. I thought they were by and large hardworking. Like it was interesting to kind of look around and be able to tell who was and was not like really on their grind, you know, and that, but I, I enjoyed that at Duke. I taught a different class. I taught a class called the black athlete um, in America, where I came up with the whole course plan and everything else. And my man, Mark Anthony Neal, uh, set me up to do that. And I really, really enjoyed that semester. It was just different because that was a class with like eight to 10 people. And I was teaching two sections of principals, you know, at Elon. But I, I, I have good things to say about both places. Yes, I love it. I love it. Uh, hey, it has been a pleasure uh, talking with you and getting to know you. And I'm so excited to see Game Theory. Thank you so much, Bobana Jones. Thanks so much, man. You have a good one. I want to thank Bomani for chatting with me, and I want to thank you for listening. You can watch Game Theory with Bomani Jones Sunday nights on HBO. I'm So Obsessed was created by our executive producer, Danielle Ramirez. Our editor and lead producer is Sophia Fox Sowell, and this episode was produced by Rebecca Flinor. Please take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. Follow the show on Twitter at I'm So Obsessed Pod. And until next time, take care.